And I hate when these entrepreneurial business experts say like, just go out and do what you love. YOLO, FOMO, whatever. Sometimes you don't have the luxury to do that. Sometimes you have to pay the bills and sometimes you just have to take the job. And I figured how to love the shit out of what I did because I didn't have the luxury to do what I loved. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Welcome to Almost 30 Podcast, everyone. It's Lindsay and Krista, and we have a special bonus episode for you this week. We were live from the Propel Collabs Fitness Festival in LA this summer, the fourth year of one of the biggest fitness festivals out there. And it was a blast. We love this event because it's a place where we all can learn, we all can grow, inspire and celebrate fitness and wellness together. Uh, We've actually worked with Propel a few times with their Propel Collabs events. We did it in New York and LA, and this is our second year in LA. And we are just all about community. We're all about growth. We're all about expansions. So it's a great fit. And we had the opportunity to speak with our dear friend and someone we admire so much, Nicole Lappin. She is the author of Rich Bitch, Boss Bitch, and her new book, Becoming Superwoman, talks all about how she went from burnout to balance. And we're just so happy to share this quick 30-minute interview with you, super jam-packed with lots of nuggets of information that you can use today to hopefully feel a little bit more balanced. Yeah. So please enjoy this summer series brought to you by Propel. We could not be more excited. Our friend Nicole Lappin is here. She is a financial expert. She is a best-selling author. Rich Bitch Changed My Life. To be honest, anyone read Rich Bitch? It is. Yes, yes. yes it's insane. Uh, it's <laughs> on my bedside always. And uh, she has a new book coming out. Let me show you this. Becoming Superwoman. Uh this is all about, and we need this more than anyone, it's really going from burnout to balance. And I'm sure a lot of you are hustling and doing all of the things. And so we really want to have a conversation today about that. So without further ado, let's welcome Nicole Lappin. Can we take a second for the CEO bra? Yeah. I mean, come on. (laughs) You can bury me in this sports bra. Thank you. (laughs) Honestly, this... This cover is gorgeous and I just, it's so powerful. You know, I love Nicole because you just walk the talk and embody uh, so much of what women really feel inside. You know, they want to have that deeper awareness about their financial health, their physical health, their emotional health. And I just love being around you. So congratulations on the new book. I'd love to kind of start with 
the burnout or a few burnouts that really inspired this book? Well, Becoming a Superwoman is not Superwoman the character. It's Becoming Super Space Woman. And I think the idea of trying to do it all and be it all and be all things to all people is creating breakdowns and burnouts like never before. Actually, for the book, I conducted the largest survey ever done on women and burnout, and it shows that we're nearing burnout to like 80 90% levels. The most interesting stat that I found, though, is that only half of us think there's a problem. So we're going at this crazy pace, but we actually don't think that there is something wrong. And so for me, I experienced a burnout and then breakdown after the launch of my second book, and I really needed to rethink everything. I really needed to rethink how I was working, how I actually worked smarter, not harder, because we hear that all the time. And I'm like, how do you actually do that? And so I went on a journey to figure that out for myself. And becoming a super space woman is the idea that you put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. And if you are all things to all people, you're nothing to yourself. And I think self-care is the biggest asset or liability to your career. I think you can network your ass off. You can go get your MBA. But if you're not good, if you're in the psych ward, if you are unable to get out of bed because you're depressed, then that's going to affect your career by canceling everything more than responding to emails in the middle of the night ever will. And for people that maybe aren't familiar for burnout, what were some signs that you realized that you could potentially have burnout or for us to think about if we're thinking about our lives right now and maybe places in which that we have too much going on or we're doing too much? What are some things that we can look for? It's really the litmus test is if you go on vacation and you come back and you don't feel rested and you don't feel motivated and you feel like you still don't want to go back and crush it. And if you're normally in that sort of crush it zone, then coming back from some time off and still feeling that way is one of the biggest signs of burnout. And it's actually a condition now by the WHO. When I first started this book two and a half years ago, there wasn't this whole lean-in backlash there is right now. I tell women to lean the fuck out. I'm allowed to say fuck, right? (laughs) Fuck, fuck, fuck. I said bitch at the last one and was like, I don't know if this is a brand. (laughs) So lean the fuck out. Hey, Mike, we can say fuck, right? (laughs) Cool. Okay. Mike says we can. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to know, I just feel like you wear so many hats as well, you know, whether it's in business or in your personal life. So I'd love to dig in there and really talk about how your self-identity relates to burnout or balance, you know, where you felt that to be out of whack at different points in your life. Because I think we can identify so much with that one thing, like we're podcast hosts. And, you know, sometimes that's the only thing we think we are. And we don't allow ourselves to express ourselves in other ways. So what has been your experience? The biggest thing I realized, and I started my career when I was 15, I grew up in an immigrant family. I'm first-generation American. I didn't have a silver spoon in my mouth. I barely had a spoon of food in my mouth growing up. My father died of a drug overdose when I was 11. My mother peaced out. And so I had no other choice but to start working early on. And I worked my way up very quickly, old school. I didn't have any connections. So I started at the bottom. Now we're here. (laughs) And I became an anchor on CNN when I was 21, which was my dream job in my life. I said to little stations across the country that I started working at Lexington, Kentucky, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, like back in the day before YouTube was a thing and you could skip all of those steps. I said, if I could say Nicole Lapp in CNN before I die, I'll die a happy woman. 
happen. And getting there when I was 21 was one of the best and worst things to happen to me because then I kept raising the bar. Then I was like, okay, well, then I'll be happy when I get to this job or to that salary. And then when I wrote my first book, I was like, well, if I just get a second New York Times bestselling book, and then that wasn't enough. And you never get your brain to the other side of happiness. And so studies have shown that happiness creates more success, not the other way around. And so we really have to break this cycle of I'll be happy or I'll be balanced when we are there. There's no more there, there. There is now. Very Buddhist too. They have the if then. Om Shanti. Yes, Om Shanti. They have the if this will happen then. And if you have that way of thinking, you're never going to be happy. For when you were you know, so young at CNN and you're on the news and you are making your way in a space that you know maybe didn't always feel like it was made for you, can you talk about imposter syndrome? I think all of us experience it at different times in our life, whether it's with our career or in new situations or doing something new. So I'd love to hear about your experience with that. I still feel it. And that's the truth. And you guys know me. Um, I never lie to you. And I would be lying if I said I cured my imposter syndrome. I don't think it ever goes away. I don't actually think that balance ever is a thing that you find and then are done with. I think that's ridiculous. Balance, of course, can be a noun and a verb. I think of it as a verb. Like It's not something that's hiding underneath the yoga mat. It's not something that's hiding behind the tree and you find it and you're done. It's constantly in motion and it's something you constantly need to work on. And the same thing goes with imposter syndrome. So at CNN, I never thought my badge was going to work when I went into the CNN center in Atlanta. I was like, oh my God, they're going to find me out. They didn't realize that I'm so young and they didn't do a background check. But the truth is I went and I auditioned and there was like a three-month-long process of testing and uh, focus grouping and all sorts of stuff. I deserve to be there. I just was convinced that my badge was going to magically stop working. And it never did. Every day you're like, uh, yes. <laughs> I'm in. And even when I started, when I was 18, I started in business news, not knowing jack shit. I'm allowed to say shit too. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. My we'll shit the is gamut. up of yeah. all of the customers okay. to see cool. if they're Sweet. good. <laughs> I didn't know shit about business. You know, I grew up in this immigrant family, super broken home, like I mentioned, and nobody read the Wall Street Journal around the kitchen counter. Nobody told me anything about this. We don't learn this stuff in school, which is ridiculous. We learn some bullshit things about how to dissect a frog and how to do the Pythagorean theorem. Like, I have no idea why we ever, ever, ever need to know that ever. We don't learn how to do a budget. We don't learn how to do our taxes. We don't learn how to do a business plan. And so instead of burying your head in the sand and saying like, well, I didn't learn it, so sucks to suck. You know, I was confronted with it face on because I just needed a J-O-B. So when I was 18, uh, I got a job on the floor of the Chicago Merck as a business reporter. I wanted a job in local news and they said, well, we don't have something there in Milwaukee. I thought that was like the end all be all. But do you know anything about business news? We just started this new show. And I was like, um, absolutely. <laughs> I love business news. And I totally faked it till I made it. Because I needed a job. And I hate when these entrepreneurial business experts say like, just go out and do what you love. YOLO, FOMO, whatever. Sometimes you don't have the luxury to do that. Sometimes you have to pay the bills and sometimes you just have to take the job. And I figured how to love the shit out of what I did because I didn't have the luxury to do what I loved. Yeah. I think from our interviews, like with 
you, that was one of the most impactful things that I got was that no matter the job or career situation that you're in, you... And I know it's easier to say I was in the corporate world for eight years and I don't know if I did as good of a job of this as I could, but finding the positive parts of the situation. Maybe you get to work from home Fridays. Maybe you love your lunch crew. Maybe there is the opportunity to take walks at lunch. I think there are places in which we can find the benefits of what we're doing because if we move into a better situation, we're more likely to find better things there too. Totally. I wanted to be a writer when I was growing up. I started as an English major and then they told me like, you might need to make some money in your life and poets don't really make money. And then I went into journalism and made $17,000 starting off. So I definitely chose the wrong industry for that. But I became a writer, just not the kind I expected. I used the opportunities I had and I turned that into something I loved. And ultimately I got my dream job and it was the exact same job. How did you build those relationships as you were gaining more experience, you know, moving up? Like what were key key things that really created relationships where they saw you for you? And I and I also want to say like that is a what I would think and assume is like a male-dominated industry in the financial world. If you're on like the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, like there's just a lot of things that might be working against you. So how did you really stand your ground confidently and create those relationships? I don't know if I did it great. I started with teasing my hair and wearing shoulder pads. That works. <laughs> I was like, this is gonna get me <laughs> to get be me taken respect. seriously. <laughs> Gravitas, here I come. And I wore maxi pads under my armpits because I was like so scared that people were going to find me out. I was like sweating like a truck driver. I mean, I was nervous. And I remember when I first started on the floor, because I didn't know anything about business, I tried to use these active verbs that I learned in journalism school. You know, they, they want you to use like super flowery things to be descriptive. And so I remember I got a story by Gillette that was owned by P&G at the time, and they were coming out with a new razor. And I just wrote this story about the new razor because I didn't know exactly why I was doing this story. It seemed odd to me. Like I wanted to be Christian Amanpour, and here I am talking about a new razor that whacks off hairs as close to the skin as ever before. And I said this, and I was so happy with my use of active verb, and my boss calls me in. And he's like, laugh and watch this tape. I'm like, did you love my active verb or what? And he's like, you just said whack off to an audience of men. <laughs> like, oh my God. I didn't even think about that. You know, I didn't even know why we were doing this story. Like, I need new pads. <laughs> right? More maxi pads, please. And new products move stock. And that's why we were doing the story. And I didn't even know. And I said, you're right. You're the boss. You're the boss. And he said to me, I'll never forget when I was 18, he said, no, you're the boss. I'm not there with you every day holding your hand on the floor of the exchange. I'm not picking out your active verbs. You are the boss of you. And at that point, I was scared as hell. And then fast forward about a decade later, I was anchoring the morning show on CNBC. And my boss called me into the office and said, we don't want you doing any entrepreneurial pieces. We want you to just sit there and read the teleprompter and call it a day. And at that point, I was already on the air for a decade and I quit mid-salary. My agents did not love me. They thought that was the end of my career. 
And I totally reinvented myself because I said, no, actually now I'm the boss. And I wasn't scared as hell. I was empowered like I'd never been. I love those stories and those opportunities too. I think about now in my career is, you know, when I think about a mentor from a, um, like a dictionary perspective, you think of this certain person that's going to agree to be your mentor, whatever. But just that one sentence and that one phrase from someone at your work who didn't intentionally mean for it to land in the way that it did has impacted your life today. I think it's so important to rethink first of all, everything. Um, At the end of each chapter of all of my books, I rethink conventional wisdom and help us think for ourselves because it's ridiculous the advice we get told, like don't buy a latte, buy a house. I'm like, "Um, hello, buy a latte, rent a house, you're going to be just fine. And I think with the idea of mentors, it's really important to reframe it to think that it's not somebody 30 years older than you. Like We're not going to learn much from Barbara Walters. Where is she, by the way? Is she? I don't know. That wasn't what I expected you were going to (laughs) say. I hope she's good. But like, she's not dealing with the same type of stuff or Katie Couric, you know, in the media world. I think peer mentors are really important. And there are a few friends of mine. Daphne Oz is one of them. She does sort of what I do, but in the food space. Randy Zuckerberg does this, but in the technology space. And we talk to each other. We're really good friends. We go on vacations and all of that. But we talk to each other about contracts because we're dealing with very similar contracts right now. And I think that peer mentors are super important. They always say, and they're saying now just to get a mentor that's one step ahead, not 40 steps ahead. So it seems more tangible and digestible. And it's about building a network, not networking. I think the idea of networking is so, so gross. And there are a lot of events um, that I'll go to and speak and women will stand up and God bless them. They'll say like, hey, Nicole, can you be my mentor? I'm like, who are you? No, like I have shit to do. Why would I just be your mentor? Now, if they had said something thoughtful, like, you know, I was following your book and it sounded like you really needed help figuring out the design of your cover based on your last Instagram post. I have a designer. I want to give you the phone number. Can I give that to you? Yeah. I will take that girl and take her under my my mama wing all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. Because what she's doing there is trying to be helpful to me. And so that's how I've always forged relationships. I've always come to the table with trying to be of service to somebody else. Everyone can be helpful at every step. Even if you think you know nothing about business, if somebody you meet somewhere says, hey, I need a DJ for my daughter's bat mitzvah, and you write back and you, you were listening and you say, here's my friend I went to college with or whatever. It's like, you're being of service. You're not asking, like you're not taking things right now. Maybe it will come to the time later on when you do, but that's not how you, a good way to start a network. I feel like we can't talk to you and not talk about financial wellness. You know, it's a part of wellness that not a lot of us think about. And also there's a lot of shame around your finances, around money. How well do you know how to manage it, how to invest it? how to make it. You know, I definitely have had shame around money and your book, and I'm not just saying this, really really helped me to give clarity to, you know, the truth. Like you just said, you know, buy the latte, rent that house. You know, we're told all of these stories and I really love how you just unravel those and you're able to figure out for yourself. So I'd love to kind of dig into financial wellness. So are there off, you know, top tips for people who might be you know, wanting to learn more about investing, about just taking care of their money so that 
inside and outside, they can feel a lot better. A hundred percent. And I do a lot of stories actually on like Dr. Oz and the doctors because financial wellness is so important to your physical health. It causes all sorts of things, depression and vertigo and anxiety and nausea and all sorts of health problems are linked to financial wellness. And so I think the first step is admitting you have a problem. It's true. All three of my books are 12-step plans because that's the point. The first step is admitting you have a problem. You have to confront it head on. You can't bury your head in the sand or nothing is going to get better. And so once you've done that, I think for financial wellness, it's really important to figure out the life you want to live first and then figure out how to get the money to live the life you want, not the other way around. Because people will say, hey, well, I just want a million dollars. Like That's a, that's my goal, a million dollars. Like, Cool. What do you want to do with that million dollars? Maybe you need more than a million dollars. Maybe you need less than a million dollars. I have no idea. First, figure out what you want to do with the money, and then we can reverse engineer to figure out how to get that money to live the life you want. And so coming up with goals in all aspects of your life is super important. And even if you think you generally know what you want to do, it's probably the case that you haven't put pen to paper and literally written down one, three, five, seven, ten 10-year goals. And once you've done that, I call them, well, in Rich Bitch, I said the three Fs. I say mea culpa in my third book, and I add a fourth F, which is fitness, which is um, mental and physical fitness. And I think that if you give nothing to that part of your life, it will demand everything. So you need to give at least something to putting that oxygen mask on first. And so once you've done that, I think the basic step is coming up with a spending plan. And I think of a spending plan like an eating plan, where you allow yourself small indulgences so you don't end up binging later on. So in the same way as like a crash diet, I don't know what the thing is these days. Is it a keto? I heard about carnivore diet the other day. Great. Like, (laughs) eat what you hunt or whatever. (laughs) Whatever the fad diet is, ultimately, you're going to feel starved and deprived and you're going to end up binging. And the same thing goes with your finances. If you go cold turkey on the latte or whatever else, you're going to binge later on. So allow yourself that small indulgence. People will say in the beginning of the year, like, I cut out the latte. You'll be so proud of me. And then come April or May, they're like, and I bought the Gucci purse because I was so good. Like, what? (laughs) That makes zero sense. Like, if you just bought that latte and you stayed motivated every single day, you wouldn't feel the need to go out and binge on something like that. So if you think about your financial life a lot like your diet or your regular life, I think changing your mindset, your finances will follow from a place of deprivation to a place of aspiration. I think a lot of, uh, you know, Lindsay was talking about the shame around finances and a lot of it is in our lack of communication, um, even with peers or family or relationships about financial health and financial wellness. I know for me, you know, my family, we didn't really talk about it much. And for my peers, we are only talking about it now as entrepreneurs. What would you, what advice would you give for people who want to start having more conversations with their community, whether that be their really close relationships or not as close relationships? What kind of languaging should they use? Should it be in a certain situation or what should that be like? I think somebody just has to go first. So what I do, and I'm like, I'll show you mine if you show me yours, or just show yourself yours, as long as we open up the dialogue about money. So I talk about, as you guys know, all my salaries in the books, like 
the legal department. I didn't even ask them or I didn't ask my publisher if I could write what the advance was. I was like, if I was reading this book, I'd want to know what this girl made for this book. She's talking about money. So I'm like, fuck it. Let's just put it in and open up that dialogue first. So the same thing goes with burnout and mental health and infertility and all of the things that we're all going through, but nobody wants to talk about. So my biggest advice for that is just go first. And you'll find out that you're definitely not alone. These taboo topics around money affect every part of our lives. I think I kind of have a sneak attack brand because money goes back to every single story. So relationships. I mean, the number one cause of divorce is not like who put the shit away or actual infidelity, it's financial infidelity, and it's fighting about money. And so it affects all of those aspects of our lives. So when we start thinking about it from the humanities standpoint, it becomes a lot easier. The math to get your financial shit together, like a fifth grader can do. It's the humanities. It's the relationship part. It's the how to get your friend to pay you back part that really gets us in trouble. I'm curious what role slowing down has played in your ability to kind of come out of the burnout and find relative balance. We've been talking a lot about slowing down, whether it's in our physical fitness and doing more like yoga or slow walks and not doing the HIIT workouts every single day to just getting more sleep or to you know having nourishing conversations that are slower and not about fast, fast business. So how have you done that? It's actually gotten me more success than I ever could have imagined by working less and working smarter and working more intentionally and being laser focused and realizing that a meeting with myself is a meeting. I used to have my workout at like 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. And if I had a breakfast meeting that there was an opportunity to have, I would say, of course I'm available. No, I'm not available. I had a date with myself. Thank you very much. If you had a breakfast date with a friend or to go to a workout with a friend, you would think a thousand trillion times before canceling that. And we don't do the same thing for ourselves. So once I started prioritizing myself, I found that everything actually started coming together in a way that I didn't expect. And I created a system for balance that's kind of like the Weight Watcher system that ended up working for me. And I'm creating a journal that comes out with it to help just connect the dots between what your goals are and what you have to do during the day. And it's super cathartic to check everything off and just cross it off and as many things. But that's actually not the best way to get you to your goals. There is a way to thoughtfully procrastinate that procrastinate that has helped me leaps and bounds. If I look at something and I'm like, this doesn't serve me or get me to my goals, I will procrastinate that and not feel bad about it because I'm doing it with intention. I'm doing it because that's not going to you know, connect me to what my career goals are or my personal goals are or whatever. And your personal goals can be anything. If you just want to find a boyfriend and on your to-do list is like, check Bumble or whatever, like that's a good priority then. That gets you to your goals. And balance looks different for everybody at different points in their lives. So the girl who's at her desk, basically sleeping there all night, working her ass off, she's definitely not balanced, right? I don't know. Maybe for that point in her life, she's prioritizing career and that's okay. I think it's really important to forgive yourself for what you're not focusing on. But first to do that, you have to figure out what you are focusing on. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Also with balance is it's not one size fits all. My balance is not anyone else's balance and vice versa. So 
you know, my ability to do X, Y, and Z might not fit for someone else and and the same for me. So I've definitely noticed that too. And my ability to not compare myself and my balance is also really important because you can also shame yourself if you're not feeling balanced. So there's like a whole cycle um, there. Selfish question a little bit. So for entrepreneurs or people that are starting a business, um, even a side hustle, what are some tips you would give to them in the beginning stages? Should they incorporate right away? Should they invest money in the business? Do you have any advice for people that are starting out of business? I just answered this question um, for Yahoo Finance that called me, and I think it was yesterday. And there was a woman who was starting a flower shop, and she wanted to know if she should get an LLC because her business was blooming. There's <laughs> fancy <Ooh>. active verbs. <laughs> Let's see what we did there. Wow. All right. And uh, I said, it depends. I mean, an LLC protects you uh, because for her business, and this is how a lot of entrepreneurs start out, they just use their own money. So they're sole proprietorship and they're spending money out of the same pot that they're making their salary in, right? And then you get to a point where there's kind of high-class problems because you're making enough money to even have these things to consider. What kind of entities should I have? I mean, you're not uh, not selling any flowers and then thinking about this. You're doing it because you're doing an awesome job. So that's great. I think with the LLC is the biggest question I often get or like an S-Corp. Um, it gives you protection against yourself. So if you're just starting your flower thing or whatever side hustle and you're using your own money, people can come after you and take your money. <laughs> so you don't want that to happen, especially if you're in a consumer-facing business. If some somebody's likely to sue you, then you want to have that protection. Do you think there's a limit? Like, should you start doing that when you're making $1,000? Like, is there a money amount that you should probably set as a goal to do an LLC? Or could you do... I think it depends. I think if you look at your overall spending plan, I break it down because I love alliteration into the three E's. So essentials, end game, and extras. So 70% of your overall budget should go to essentials, your food, your housing, rent, rent, all of the things. And then 15% should go to the extras, so the latte, the mani-pedi, whatever does it for you, whatever um, is fun for you. I'm not going to be the fun police. Uh, and 15% should go to the end game, which is your retirement and your savings and your investing and all of that. And so I think when you're starting out a business, it's important to think about that pie. Like You don't want to put all of your money in and listen to those aforementioned entrepreneurial or business experts who are like, YOLO, go start an alpaca farm because... If not now, when? It's like, no, actually, um, I know this is not super sexy to think about, but business is not charity. You have to be making money to have a business. If you're losing money after a year, it's not a business. It's done. And sometimes it's not a job. Sometimes it's not a job, it's a hobby, I say. Because if you start something, let's say you love making cupcakes and you get all of the cupcakes to your friends with fancy flavors and cool designs. And they say, you know, you should make a business out of that. And you're like, "Mm, maybe you're right. And so you turn the cupcake hobby you had into a business and you start sourcing flour and you start getting accountant and you start trying to figure out how to scale and get boxes and get fulfillment and delivery and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, the thing you really love to do on the weekends becomes 
not fun. And sometimes you're like, actually, I don't want this to be a business. I want to go back to my other J-O-B and I got that out of my system. So it's really important sometimes to figure out what you don't want to do. It's probably more important than figuring out what you do want to do. Because then you never wonder like, what if, you know, what if I started that alpaca farm when I was 70 years old or whatever? I'd love to know like what your hobbies are, like what you found... you. You're doing so much. You're a best-selling author. You have programs, your schools, and just the brand Nicole Lappin. You're speaking all over. Like it's really the sky is the limit. But how do you kind of have this lane outside of all of that? And what does that look like? So if you would have asked me this question five years ago, I wouldn't have had an answer. I only wanted to talk about work. And it uh, didn't even occur to me to have a hobby. And so when I had an emergency hospitalization after the launch of Boss Bitch, I, I hit rock bottom. From the outside world, I was this badass boss bitch who was telling other boss bitches how to find their own badassery. But I was in the hospital needing to get better like a lot of people in the hospital are. And for me, that was a huge moment where I needed to rethink all the things. And hobbies was a big part of it. And for me, I knew as I did a lot of trial and error to, and I read happiness studies and balance studies from here to eternity to try and figure out how to hack this because I was like, okay, I was valedictorian of my college and my high school. And I only say that to tell you that I was also like valedictorian, I suppose, if there was one of like my psychiatric outpatient program where I was like writing all the notes and I was in like dialectical behavioral therapy class and like trying to figure out how to actually do this because I didn't want like some woo-woo answer and like go hug a tree and drink like you know, echinacea tea or ginger. I don't know, whatever you guys. So whatever anyway, <laughs> whatever you drink. <laughs> I have suggestions. <laughs> I would love those suggestions. But then I realized like that wasn't the step-by-step process that I needed at that point. It was more than that. And so for me, trying to hack that just came back to breaking it down into baby steps. And meditation didn't work for me by like sitting in a pose or whatever and like paying for a class or paying for headspace. Like that didn't work for me. So what I realized was meditative was taking random classes. So I started taking like latte art making and tomahawk throwing and archery and like dream catcher making class, like whatever random stuff I could take, I signed up for it. And what I realized is that that was meditative to me. Um, You know, just the repetitive motion of doing something made me forget everything else and really focus on that. And that became my meditation. And so I tried to rethink what this looked like for me. And then I continued on with that. I took an improv class, which is definitely not something I ever thought I would do. I learned a lot about life from improv. Also, improv is super, super hard. Um, There's a whole improvisational manual that I took at uh, UCB when I took the class there, which is no joke. Like, it's actually really hard to be funny, even though I think personally I'm hilarious. I guess I'm the only one. Um, It's figuring out who you are, where you are, and what you're doing in the first four lines of a scene. And that has come to have a lot of meaning for me in life because those are really important questions that not only do you have to answer for yourself, but you have to get to the audience in those first four lines. And so it's it's shown showing that you can create your cohesive narrative for yourself, but also be able to articulate it. Because studies have shown that women who create cohesive narratives for themselves and their lives are more likely to be successful. If you can accurately articulate 
hey, what do you want to do in five years, 10 years? If you're just like, mm, world domination, that's not an answer. If you have very specifics, you're more likely to get there. Yeah, that's so important just to be able to clearly state your goals. And it's kind of like the manifestation, the beginning processes of manifestation. This has been amazing. You did so good. Where can my audience connect with you and learn more? You're amazing. Well, we are having an event, which is so exciting. We didn't even ask her. Come hang out with us. Yes, September 12th. We're going to be doing an event with her on her new book, Becoming Superwoman. It's at the Riveter in West LA. With a bunch of badass Yeah, almost30podcast.com slash tour if you want to join. And you invite NicoleLappin.com. And then I just launched the money school, the boss school. I definitely didn't think I would be able to speak the language of money or business, much less speak it to the world, much less teach other folks about it. So like, I'm a professor. Don't laugh at me, but you can find that um, at NicoleLappin.com. I've learned so much and you are, you are an expert, you know, but it is for everyone, which I think is the best type of expert. So thank you. Thank Give it you. up for Nicole. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast live at Propel Collabs this summer in LA. We will see you on the next one. You can connect with us at almost30podcast.com and almost30podcast on Instagram. 